0: I got pretty excited about preaching this message uh, that we're going to go over this morning. As I was <clears throat> during the last week, as I was, you know, studying and, and and reading over this thing and meditating and seeking God's guidance and and uh, that type of thing, because um, it's it's given me an opportunity to preach on some stuff that I don't normally preach on. Y'all know the vast majority of the, of the time uh, I preach on discipleship. I preach on, you know. Becoming like Jesus, acting like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, uh, those, those types of things. Following Jesus, those are, those are my primary topics. So I, can, I, can generally get a, I can usually get a discipleship sermon out of any piece of scripture. But this one kind of challenged me a little bit. And, it, and, um, and it's just really cool because, again, it gives, it gives me an opportunity to preach about some stuff that I don't normally preach on. And it reorients me. Um, and I hope it reorients you guys a little bit towards the concepts of grace and we're going to talk about what grace is in a little while but we're also going to talk about the ideas of salvation because we're getting close to Easter and that's what Easter is all about. Um, so if you got a Bible on I turn it over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And y'all will probably notice that I'm not preaching out of the Gospels <laughs> this week for a change. Again, 80% of the time it seems I'm generally preaching out of one of the four Gospels. But we're moving over to the epistles today. Um, so we're going to read some words of the, of, the, uh, of the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the church at Ephesus. And we're going to be doing, going through uh, verses 1 through 10. Starting verse 1. As for you... made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and seated seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's the uh, Word of God for the people of God. I love that, man. I don't know, if, I don't know if, about y'all, but I got chills again when I, when I was reading it. Um, there's a lot going on in these verses. There's a, there's a lot that we could get out of these verses. But we're going to focus on just three things this morning. Three different themes. As I said, as Easter gets closer and closer, we're starting to focus our, our attention. If you'll notice, all of our songs, all of our scriptures, we're focusing our attention towards the cross. It's, uh, we're, we're, we're about three weeks out from Easter. So as we move in that direction, we are getting focused on the ideas of, uh, of salvation, of justification, of the, the death and the, uh, the uh, resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ, which was, as we know, God's plan to reconcile uh, the world to Him so that we're able to have a relationship with Him. It is the idea of salvation, and it is the idea of what we call justification, some really big words that we're going to break down in a little bit and, uh, and talk about. Um. The grace of God is a major force in all of this. Throughout these scriptures, you can see grace, 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 grace. The grace of God is behind everything. Everything we just read, everything that has to do with the cross, everything that has to do with these ideas of being saved and and being justified and being reconciled for God, the foundation of all that is grace. So with that, we're going to ask a couple questions. We're going to talk about grace later on. But in these verses, we can find two things. And again, there's all kinds of stuff that we can pull out of these verses. But two things that I think God prompted me to talk about today that are very clear in these is we can answer some questions. Number one, how, why do we need saving? I think these scriptures answer that question. Why do we need saving? Number two, how does this happen? Or how are we saved? I think these scriptures answer that. And I think these scriptures answer that very plainly. As a, as a matter of fact, I think Paul spells out very plainly in these opening verses why we're in need of salvation before I get into it though before I get into a lot of detail I want to read you guys um, some of these verses these first few verses out of the message Bible y'all know that I, y'all know that I like to uh, check out the, the message translation every now and then. And in this particular case, I think the message does a wonderful job in, in uh, not necessarily making this easier for us to understand, but, but bringing it into it, some language that's really gonna, that really hits to the heart, that really cut, cuts the chase and, and, and grabs the heart. So listen to this. This is how, this is how the message interprets these first few scriptures, verses one, through, uh, verses 1 through 6. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which does not know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, and then you exhaled disobedience. Sounds like me. We all did it. All of us. All of us did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. Sounds like me. It's a wonder God didn't lose His temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in His mercy, and with an incredible love, He embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on His own with no help from us. Then He picked us up and He set us down in the highest heaven in the company of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. That hits me like a ton of bricks. Paul doesn't mince words in in here. So what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about, first and foremost, the idea of sin. And this is Christianity 101. Everybody needs to understand, okay, this, is, this is, gets into the question, why do we need saving and, and, and what are we being saved from? Christianity 101 tells us that we are born into sin. Paul does not mince words here. He makes that very, very plain to us. This is something that we are born into. It's not something that we can escape. It's not something that we can get away from. It is born into human nature to sin, Paul puts it this way. In the NIV version, he puts it like this: He says, "To gratify the cravings of our flesh, and uh, and following its desires and thoughts." What does it mean to gratify the flesh? Well, gratifying the flesh here clearly is also a metaphor. It's a metaphor for self-centered thinking. It's a metaphor for self-centered living. It's a metaphor for self-centered um, application. That's what we're born into. We are not born. Understand this, and I'm not preaching something crazy if y'all have never heard this before. Again, Christianity 101. We are not born with a natural inclination to do the will of God. Okay? We are born self-centered people, and, and don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about good people versus bad people. I'm talking about sin. We are not born with a natural inclination towards God or towards doing God's will. We are born with a natural inclination to serve us if you don't, and, and, and to protect us. If you don't believe me, you can look at a two-year-old and figure this out. A two-year-old has a natural inclination to do what he or she wants to do, right? Did you steal the cookie from the cookie jar? No, it wasn't me. So that's your example. That kid's not... I'm not talking about that kid being good or bad. I'm sure there are plenty of of non-Christians out there who do a much more good work than I do myself. It's not about good people versus bad people. It's about the fact that we are born into sin. Now, here's the thing. God can't exist. God cannot be in the presence of sin. Sin separates us from God. God cannot abide in sin. God is perfect and God is holy. He cannot simply be in the presence of sin. And if you look through the Old Testament, they tried to figure out all kinds of ways to to, to, uh, address this issue through ritual sacrifice and those types of things. Didn't work because people continued to sin. They could not do enough to rid themselves of this separation from God. Christianity is not a merit-based system. And I think that's a lot of times people people believe that. Even even Christians believe that Christianity is a merit-based system. It's not. You can never do enough. (laughs) You can never, ever do enough good that's going to justify us before God. You can't do it. But God came through for us, and that's what we're seeing again in these first few scriptures. It's not about good or bad. It's about sin. We can't save ourselves, and we can't be justified to a holy God through any kind of effort of our own. Here's the thing, though. God knows this. God understands this. I think that's personally, this is, this is opinion only, but I think personally that's one of the reasons Jesus Christ came to earth as a human being because Jesus can empathize with us. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. Jesus knows what it's like to face the ideas anyway of, of self centeredness. Jesus knows our struggles. God knows our struggles and he empathizes with us. He knows that we can't do this on our own. He knows that we are absolutely incapable of not sinning. And He cares. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Understand this too. God doesn't hate people. I heard that a lot, or at least it may not come out, they may not come out right, outright and said it, but that was kind of the God that I was taught brought coming up. God didn't like me. And if I didn't do what God wanted, he, was, he wanted to send me to hell. That ain't God, folks. And I'm not arguing against a-, a torturous afterlife at all. God doesn't have any desire to send us to hell. Very, very important that we understand this. And, I'm gonna, and then we'll, we'll end this point on this note. What are we being saved from? We're being saved from sin. We're not being saved necessarily from hell and we are certainly not being saved necessar- at all from a God who desires to send us there. God does not desire to send us there. I feel that's the way that people teach this a lot of times. If you don't do what's right, if you don't do this, don't do that, God wants to send you to hell. Get right before you come to God. That is the, completely the opposite. <laughs> Go to God first and allow Him to change you if you're worried about getting right. God has no desire to send us to hell. Not, I'm not teaching you guys anything crazy. Y'all, y'all can look at in multiple places in Scripture where it says that. God does not desire the death of sinners. Paul writes that. There are numerous other verses that, that give you that idea. Understand that we serve a loving God. What we do have, the problem that we have again is a God who cannot exist with us through our sin. So that's why we're saved. How are we saved? One of the hallmark and foundational scriptures of Christianity, particularly Protestant Christianity, is found in our verses today. It's found in our scriptures today. You can locate it right there in uh, verses 8 and 9. I'll read it to you real quick. Again, this is, this is, this is a foundational verse of Christianity, and particularly, particularly Protestantism. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. The Message Bible puts it like this, and this is really neat too. Immense in mercy and with an incredible love God embraced us. He took our sin, dead lives, and He made us alive in Christ. He did all this on His own with no help from us. Then He picked us up and He set us down in the highest heaven in the company with Jesus the Messiah. It's nothing. We are saved. We are justified, and we are reconciled into a right and good and perfect relationship with God through faith. If you want to know how we're saved, that's it. It really is that simple. We are able to be reconciled to God. We are able to solve this sin problem, this separation problem that we have from God. We are able to be justified, not by stuff that we do, not because we've earned anything, simply by faith in what God has done for us. If that's not a gift, I don't know what is. And that is the Easter message, folks. That is the Easter message. We don't have to earn our salvation. We don't have to earn our justification. We can be in a relationship with Christ. We can solve our sin problem. We do solve our sin problem. We solve our afterlife problem. Y'all know I don't talk about the afterlife a whole lot in general. But yeah, we solve, we sell, we, we solve our afterlife problem. We get to be a part of God's kingdom at some point. Not because of what we do. And y'all know that I preach that I love preaching about doing good stuff. But at the end of the day, It's all about faith in what God's done for us. Look at those verses. Grace, 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 gift, gift, gift. Nothing that we do accomplishes this. It's not merited. It is simply God's free gift through trusting in Christ as our Redeemer, as our Savior, and our Lord. What happens we're going to get back to sin real quick. What happens when, this, when, we, when we do this? When we're able to do this? Paul says in our verses that we are made alive in Christ. That we are no longer dead to sin. That's a heck of a promise if you think on those words. that so We are no longer dead to sin. We are made instead alive with Christ. What does it mean not to be dead in sin? Well, I don't know about you guys, but For the most part, I don't have a big desire to sin today. And I think that's what happens with most of us. And I think that's what Paul means. We are no longer dead to sin. To some degree, to some degree or another, we're a little bit less selfish than we used to be. We're a little bit less self-centered than we used to be. We're a little bit less worried about me than we used to be and a little more worried about God and a little more worried about others. That's what it means to some degree or another. We don't have this desire to sin any longer. If you want some evidence of your salvation or your justification, think on those things. Do I still have some of these? Not that we're not going to sin. We certainly are. But where are my priorities when where is my heart for the most part? We're no longer dead to it. It no longer has the power over us that it once had. Now that's a supernatural thing, folks. I don't know what else you would call that. That is a supernatural manifestation of God brought by nothing but acceptance and surrender to that gift that He gives us. That's how salvation happens. So what's the foundation of all this? We talked about the why, why we need saving, what being saved is. What's the foundation of all that? Faith, certainly. Paul says it's grace. Paul says it's this idea, and that's a, that's a word that we throw around in churches a lot. But Paul says it's grace. If you look in the N.I. version, you're going to see that word grace three times. Three times in our scriptures today. So what's Grace. What is grace? Let's talk about grace for just a few minutes. Y'all don't have to answer me. (laughs) But some would say this. Some would say, well, grace is the the unmerited or unearned favor of God. Some would put it like, I've heard it put like this before. Um, Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting something you don't deserve. I think that's pretty good. I think both of those are... are, I agree with both of those statements. uh, And those are certainly aspects of grace. Those are certainly things that we can see in Scripture and that we believe as Christians. But we can break that down even further. We can break the idea of grace down even further if we simply understand it as the work of God. Grace is simply the work of God. The work that God does in our lives that pulls us in the direction towards Him. Whether it's through initial justification or whether it's through that process that we talk about all the time called sanctification. Grace is the work of God in our lives. Now, with the very short amount of time that I've got left, I want to give you guys an idea of how we Historically, Wesleyans, Methodists, have understood this idea of grace, because John Wesley, I think, broke it down wonderfully and easy for us to understand. John Wesley broke it down into three aspects. He called and he called a, three aspects called this: justifying grace, sanctifying grace, and something called prevenient grace. Understand this, first of all, before I I go any further into detail. Grace is grace is grace. The work of God is the work of God is the work of God. He just broke these things down because it made it easier, basically, for us to understand what grace is and how grace works in our life. The first one we can understand is justifying grace. And that is exactly what it sounds like. Remember, grace is what? Grace is the work of God. Justifying grace is that grace, that work of God, that pulls us to Him initially. Justifying grace is that grace or that work that pulls us to Him when we are dead in our sin. When we don't have that relationship with Christ. All of those times before maybe that we, that we finally did accept on faith, Jesus... All those times before where we felt that pull and yet we kept on rejecting it, turning it down, trying to push ourselves away from it. That's what that was. That's justifying grace. Justifying grace pulls us to God. It's that grace that works in our lives before we have that relationship with Christ. Maybe we're 12 years old, maybe we're 2 years old, but it's there. God is always pulling us to. Secondly, is sanctifying grace. And this is one that I talk about a lot because this is the one that we focus on when we talk about discipleship. What is this big, crazy Christian word, sanctification? Sanctification is a big word that basically means growing in Christ-likeness. It means growing like Christ in our minds and in our hearts and becoming more like Jesus, maturing in our faith, if you will. Sanctifying grace is what brings that to us. Sanctifying grace is that grace that works with us throughout our lives from from two to one hundred. It's always there. That is God always, always working to mold us, to shape us into what Paul refers to as the image of Christ. And we can either accept that just like we accepted on faith our initial salvation or we can reject that. Y'all know that we can reject God's work in our lives, right? We do it all the time. Anytime we feel like we're being pointed in one direction and we decide to go another, we're projecting that sanctifying grace that Wesley's talking about. That grace is always with us. It is always with us, always pulling us in the direction of God's will for our lives. Preventient grace. Now, there's another big word. It's also the coolest aspect of grace, if you ask me. But preventient grace is that... preventient basically means coming before or, or proceeding. Preventing grace is that grace that works in our lives that is always there before we even know it's there. Y'all remember what I said justifying grace was? it's It's that grace that's pulling us to God, you know, that justifies us and that's our initial point of salvation, basically. That grace has been there all along. God is working in our lives when we don't even know it. Always, always pulling Him towards us. I believe Christians and non-Christians alike, I believe God offers this to anybody, this justification. I think that's good Christianity. I think that's good theology. Everything we have to understand, y'all, is grace. Everything that we do, everything that we are, everything that we become as Christians is a result of the work of God. Now, of course, as Methodists, as good Methodists, we believe in this idea of free will. Believe it or not, there are some aspects of Christianity that don't believe in free will. There are aspects of Christianity that that believe that God is basically a puppeteer and uh, He picks who He wants to be saved and He picks who He does not want to be saved. Of course, we don't believe that. What we believe is to some degree or another, we at least play a small role in our salvation from beginning to end, from justification all the way through our lifetime, through that process of sanctification we believe that we play at least some role in it. Now, here's what I like to think. Um, I don't like the idea of phrases like, I made a decision to follow God, or I did what God told me to do, because that gives me a little bit too much power, and that, uh, that puts my effort a little bit too much into it. I'll tell you what I do like, though. I like the word surrender. To me, that's, really, that's a lot closer to the idea of faith than, than I did this or I did that. Any, anytime any growth periods ever occurred in my life, it's not because I did anything. It's because I surrendered to what I knew was the will of God. How to do that? I can't explain that to anybody. I'll never be able to explain it. But that's the role that we play in it. That's the role that we play when we experience that our initial salvation all the way through our lifetime. Are we going to submit to God's will, whatever that will may be? Or are we going to reject that will? Simply surrender. Miss Marlene tells me that I like to step on her toes a lot. Uh, throughout, the, um, throughout the pandemic, when we have been on and off, Miss Marlene's been one of my greatest um, inspirations. She, there, hardly a week has gone by uh, without her sending me a text or a, or a Facebook message commenting on my sermon. And she's been a great person of support through all this. She also tells me that I enjoy stepping on people's toes. <laughs> Uh, and that's not really really that 's not my. I'd like to motivate folks just like I mo- like to motivate myself to the best of my ability that 's not really my intention though. My intention is not um, to step on anybody 's toes if, if you 're not doing something correctly. none of us are, are, are getting all this stuff correct. None of us are getting all this stuff correct so i don 't ever want you guys want to feel like I 'm stepping on your toes and trying to, trying to hurt anybody 's feelings or, or tell you that you 're not doing enough. Um, we know what god 's will is for, for our lives for the most part. We know who Jesus was that 's why we 're going through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the scripture, the life of Jesus, spell out that stuff for it. Jesus, Jesus spells that stuff out for us. Jesus teaches us how to speak, how to think, how to live, how to act. You know, we're never going to get all that right. Of course, that's where grace comes in. But we know we're being pulled in that direction. I can either I can either love my enemy and pray for those who persecute me, or I cannot. I can either choose to do the will of Jesus, or I cannot. I can either seek revenge and retaliation against somebody who's hurt me. Or I can not seek revenge. Remember all the stuff we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount? There's your sanctifying grace pulling you in that direction. What am I going to do with it? Am I going to submit or am I going to take my self-will back? Grace, sanctification. So all this, it's not about beating folks up. It's to show the character of Christ. It's, it's to show the will of God. It's to point the path towards Christ's likeness. And hopefully at some point we'll be able to surrender our wills and, uh, and be able to do that. So never, never, however, having said all that, I know I'm running out of time again. Don't The ideas of grace and mercy should never be construed as to be an excuse for sin. Never misunderstand that, never, never misappropriate that. Grace is not an excuse to ignore the commandments of Jesus and continue life. But we know we're being, but we're what direction we're being pulled most of the time. Grace is grace. Grace is grace, and we all have it. From the person who has just been justified to the person who's been sitting in that church pew for 50 years. Here's the idea. Here's the crazy thing about grace. Somewhere tonight, in a lot of places tonight, today, people are going to die who have faith in Christ who have submitted to the fact that Christ died for their sins and they are reconciled to God. They have been brought into a right and good relationship with Him through nothing but their faith. But they're also stuck in sin. They're also stuck in some really bad stuff. They're also stuck in addiction and whatever horrible sin we can possibly construe in our head. Maybe they've done some of the most heinous criminal acts that we can possibly think of. That's what's going to happen when they pass away. They're going to spend eternity in the kingdom of God. And if you don't like that, I'm sorry. That doesn't sound fair, does it? In our human minds, that is not fair. Again, we go back to the beginning. We didn't earn this, (laughs) y'all. We didn't do anything to earn this. It doesn't matter how sanctified I am, how Christ-like I am, how much I grow in my sanctification, and I believe in growing in our sanctification. I believe that's our purpose. But some people never will. Some people never will. Sandy remembers two or th- three or four years ago this, this, when we were doing a, um, a, uh, a recovery, a, a Christian-centered recovery program here in Broxton. That This kid came. I think he was about 19 years old. You remember that, Sandy? He came one night, and uh, bad problems, awful problems. But he said that he wanted, at the end of the meeting, he said he wanted to accept Christ, that he wanted to surrender to Jesus. And me and this other guy kneeled with him and and prayed with him. I don't have any doubts in my mind that that little boy, that boy, and he was a boy, was justified before God that night, that he was reconciled and brought into a right relationship with him. Two weeks later, he died in a car crash. That kid is with Jesus in the kingdom of God today. None of, this, none of us earned this. None of us earned this. If we're still thinking this way, if we still think this way, well, this, shouldn't, this person shouldn't get this. This person shouldn't get this. Maybe we ought to rethink, do we deserve it? Because I'm going to tell you, I don't deserve it. Realizing this, understanding this, Accepting these ideas helps us to treat people a little bit better. It helps us to be a little more gentle. It helps us to be a little more accepting and a little bit more understanding. We're all on a journey and this is something I've had to learn too, particularly since being a pastor. We are all on a journey and we are all on different paths. We are all at different stages and different levels of our spiritual development, our spiritual maturity. The common bond that we have is our justification. Whatever, wherever we are in our journey, we've got that common bond of justification through nothing but faith in Christ. It's not about being better than other Christians, not as good as other Christians. And you all know that I believe in growing Christ's likeness and teaching that all day long. But once we understand that we didn't deserve this salvation, we didn't deserve this justification, maybe we start stop pointing fingers at who's better at being a Christian and who's not so great at it. We're a community of faith and we are in this together. Just as God showered us with undeserved grace upon grace like Paul talks about, we should probably be showering each other with the same. I think that's what God wants us to do. I think that's why Jesus teaches so much about love and mercy and so less about punishment and punitive justice. Maybe we should shower each other with a little more grace, a little more mercy. And perhaps, especially even those in our faith community who are struggling and maybe even more so, those who do not have a relationship with Christ. Y'all pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you, for, uh, thank you for your message this morning. We thank you so much for the undeserving grace that we all, that we all have uh, the ability to accept through, through nothing that we've done, nothing we can do, nothing we can't do. It's just that gift, Lord. It's always that gift, constantly working in our lives. Help us, God, to continue to realize your grace in our lives. Help us to continue to be able to desire to surrender to that grace. May we all grow in Christ-likeness and the desire to grow in Christ-likeness for your glory, for our own good, and for the good of every life that we might touch. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.